You are listening to the Invitation Church podcast. To learn more about Invitation Church, visit us online at invitation605.com. You can also download our app on iTunes and Google Play by searching for Invitation 605. All right, the reading today is John 6, 1 through 13. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is, the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. Then Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, Eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon, Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down, about five thousand of them. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled twelve baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. I'm going to go to the next slide for me. So Sproul's family, uh, that's uh, Ken and, and Jody Sproul's, and they have uh, walked through uh, cancer in the last year, and uh, just a great way for them to be a part of our uh, gathering uh, this morning. And, and also, I love that uh, they are reading a passage that they've experienced uh, this year, too. And so uh, we're in a series where we're kind of walking through. Uh, there's seven signs in the book of John uh, that point to the resurrection. And so while we're tempted to call them miracles, uh, a better word is sign. Because a miracle, it's not just some kind of magic trick that Jesus performs that doesn't point to anything. It's a sign that, hey, there is something coming. There's something on the horizon. And so I want to start today just by acknowledging in the room, like, one of the greatest graces of God is good food. I don't know if you have, like, lunch plans today. I don't know if maybe some of you already know what that's going to look like. For some of you, this is what always a Sunday fight is, kind of where this is all going to go and and what's going to happen. But I've had an opportunity to have some good meals uh, in my life. One is here. And so this is proof that they do, in the state of South Dakota, let babies get married. So that's just good. That's just sort of how that uh, works. This is our honeymoon in 2007, and we are in Boston, Massachusetts, uh, on this little breakfast cruise deal. Um, I cut the picture off because I am wearing khakis. I'm not a khaki guy anymore. All right, so you will not very often see me in, looks like I'm ready for golf, right? Like, you're not very often going to see me like that. But if we're going to talk about our honeymoon, we should also probably talk about, this is another meal, the USF cafeteria, can I get an amen in the house, right? So for several years, 
Um, Michaela and I lived at USF in the dorms and we were students. And then we had such a great experience. We're like, hey, let's keep living here. And so we lived uh, with about 80 freshmen in Krosky Hall. And so we spent several years doing that. She was the uh, resident director which just kind of got us ready to have children. So why not start out with 90 children, kind of work our way through that. And then after several years of that, we decided to, to move out and had a baby and the rest is sort of history. But we've got really fond memories. Actually, USF took this picture. They blew it up on a canvas and they gave it to us because they just thought, oh, wouldn't they want to have that in their house somewhere? So which I'm like, I mean, I'm a little prideful, but I like to think that, anyway, so that's that. Um, and then I have uh, this other one too. This is a few years ago, uh, we went to the Sunshine Coast in British Columbia and I destroyed, destroyed a plate of crab legs. And so that was an amazing, amazing uh, trip that we got to go on uh, to celebrate our, our anniversary. But you can all think in your mind, like memorable meals that you have had. And God could have come up with a million ways to refuel our bodies, right? But there's something about sitting down with people that you care about and having a meal together. Like there's such a goodness that comes in that. And even in the scriptures, the scriptures talk about like a wedding banquet of the lamb that is going to happen in eternity, so just to let you know in the room today, eternity is not just about walking the streets of gold. There's going to be some eating involved in eternity. And that is really good news. And the, the sign that Jesus performs that Ken and Jody read for us today is a, is a sign that has to do with food. It has to do with some people in a moment of need and God provides. It's interesting that this is the only miracle besides the resurrection that's recorded in all four of the Gospels. So we see it in the synoptics in Matthew and Mark and Luke. And then John also brings it to our attention. It's the only other miracle besides the resurrection that we see. So it's, it's important and it's, it's different in each Gospel. And some people will be like, well, see, this is by the Bible's not reliable because they can't get their own details right. And what a lot of people don't understand is the way that these accounts are written, they are written so that one different thing would be highlighted in the different accounts. It's like you watch a movie as a family, and you all have paid attention to different parts of the movie. So in the book of Matthew, what do we see? We see Jesus as healer. And so Jesus has healed all of these people, and wouldn't you know it, the people who were healed by him start following him around. Makes sense. But then in the book of Mark, we see Jesus as shepherd. And so there's this really beautiful uh, section in the Gospel of Mark where it talks about people who were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then the, the book of Luke, we see Jesus as the host. And so in this account, in Luke's account, he lets us know that, that Jesus welcomed these people who had been following him around. He didn't try to get rid of them, but he welcomed them. So it's in all four of these Gospels. In the setting of this story, 
is near the Sea of Galilee in a place called the Golan Heights. And so you can, it's laser pointer time, all right? In case anybody was wondering, it's laser pointer time. Write that in your notes, all right? So we've got, here's Israel right here, Golan Heights. So this is where the story takes place. Here's the Sea of Galilee. And then here's Syria right here. So it's literally sitting in between Israel and Syria. And then down here, I even made a little extra. So you can sort of see where we're talking about in the world. So this is a real place. This is a real moment. And here's a video that kind of shows the, the place that we're talking about. Because you hear Jesus getting on a mountainside and he begins to teach. And can you just see it? Like, this is the, the setting, this is the context for this story. I think sometimes all we need to do is, we need to be able to see something visually. I don't know about you, but I can just like picture Jesus up there, teaching all of these people who would crowd around him. In the scene that's going to come after this, you're going to see that some of that same land now, if you go to Israel today, is filled with mines because of the war that has taken place there. This is sitting in a very volatile place in our world between Israel and Syria. And then you're going to see in a moment that the, U, the UN has a, has a base there. And it's, it's people's jobs to protect that space between Israel and Syria. So these people. And that's there every day. And I think what's so powerful about that backdrop is that it, while now it is a place of conflict, it's a place of pain, it's a place of need, guess what? We have a Jesus. We have a God who meets every need. We have a Jesus who heals every wound. We have a Jesus, not just in this moment, but in every moment who makes right what has been wrong. So that's the context for this story in the crowd had followed Jesus because they were impressed with him. And they followed him to the Golan Heights, around the Sea of Galilee, to this remote place. It took a while for them to walk there. And in verse 3, we see that, that Jesus chooses the mountainside, and he sits down. And he begins to teach. And, and we see that you know mountains um, in the scriptures are a really important place. They're a place of divine encounter. Like even to, to be present at the base of a mountain and just to see it in its majesty and its power, like that does something to us. And I know around here you're like, we have no mountains. But it's amazing to go somewhere where you get to see that. And in Matthew chapter 5, it's interesting, Jesus chooses a mountain, a hill, to deliver the Sermon on the Mount. And then we see it again in Matthew chapter 15. He's healing more people. And where is he doing that? He's doing that on a mountain. And then in Matthew 24, Jesus is talking about what is going to happen at the end. And where is he doing that? He's doing that on a hill. We can go all the way back to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 22, there's a moment that Abraham and Isaac have on Mount Moriah. Where Abraham is asked to, to give his most precious thing that God has given to him. Places Isaac on this altar. And then later in Exodus chapter 3, Moses is 
given his assignment, he's called by God to, to go to Pharaoh. And where does that happen? That happens at the base of a mountain called Mount Sinai. And then you can fast forward Exodus chapter 18. And God gives his heart to the people of Israel, his law, the, the commandments. Like, hey, this is how I want you to live. This is what it means for us to be in relationship. And you're asking me, and I'll answer you, where does that happen, Dave? It happens at the base of Mount Sinai. So mountains in the scriptures have a significant place and a significant role. And then something happens in verse 5. There's all these people, and they're hungry. They've been with Jesus for quite a while, and Jesus turns to one of his disciples, this guy Philip. The Philip's this guy in the scriptures, like you don't really have a whole lot of moments with Phil, right? You don't hear about him very much. He's pretty forgettable in the scriptures. So like this is his moment. This is Philip's moment, all right? And I want to show you what happens. He turns to Philip and he says like, hey, Philip, where can we buy bread for this crowd? And you're like, why in the world is Jesus asking Philip like where they could buy bread? Like, doesn't Jesus know? Jesus is asking Philip where they can buy bread because where's Philip from, you ask? I'll tell you, he's from Bethsaida, which is like nine miles away. So like, he sort of like grew up in this place in the same way you go visit somewhere and you're like, hey, whoever's here, like, where do I need to eat? Where do I need to hang out? What do I need to make sure that I enjoy while I'm here? This is that moment. And the situation is that they need to feed about 20,000 people because the text tells us that there's how many men? 5,000. But we also know that there was more people than that. We know that there's kids there. We know that there's some ladies there. So that's our best guess is that we have about 20,000 people. That's about 50% of the entire population of Galilee at the time. This is some people in this room. This is like our worst nightmare. That more people showed up than I was planning on. And what are we going to do now? Because we don't have enough for everybody. And the worst thing that could happen to you in life is to be a Midwest person inviting some people over to eat and there's not enough. And this is the moment. This is what happens. And But then we, we find that Jesus says this to test Philip which we're like, oh good, of course. Here's God testing us again. And we understand like what's actually going on here. The, the test, I don't want you to think of the test like today's Pi Day, like 3.1419, that's where I end. You can Google it and find out the rest. Some of you are like, oh, I thought you were talking about apple pie. No, I'm not talking about apple pie. But that's up to you. You can do that later if you want. He's not talking about some kind of math test. Like, hey, are you in? Are you out? Do you, are you good enough? Do you have enough understanding to be a part of this place? No, the, the test is more an examination of like, what's in here? Like, how is it that you are understanding? 
So it's less pass-fail, and it's more like, hey, let's examine what's in your heart. Let's examine what's in your life. Like, hey, let's look at it together. Like, this is the moment after I had foot surgery in 2014, and I went into Dr. Neely's office, and he's like, all right, let's look at that foot. Let's see what the foot can do. Show me standing on one leg. So I stood on one leg. Let's examine that, and I think it's the grace of God when he gives us a moment, when he gives us an opportunity, okay, Dave, like, let's see like, what's actually happening in your life, in your world, in your mind. How are you thinking about your place in my kingdom? And what fruit is existing already in your life? I think that's a moment of grace. Like, let's see what this is. So I don't want anybody to have this like, picture of God. Like, God's just messing with us. Like, out of this cruel heart and nature, like, oh, let's see what they do here. Sometimes we read the scriptures, and that's sort of what we walk away with. And I just want to tell the house today, that's not the God that I know. The God that I know is like, hey, Dave, let's, let's look at this together. Let's see where you're at. I'm going to give you an opportunity for examination. And then verse 7 Philip says to Jesus, like, <laughs> there's no way. <laughs> it's not about not having a, no, a place to go and buy bread. We don't even have close to enough money to buy bread. Like, it would cost how much? Almost a year's wages. There's not a chance that we can do that today. And I think the test is, like, will you lean on my goodness and on my power when you are hopeless? The test is, will you lean on my goodness and on my power when you're, like, out of resources? Not when you have the power in your back pocket to pay for it. But when you don't. Like, will you lean on my goodness and on my power when you are resourceless? That's the thing that we need to examine because what we choose in that moment is probably the thing that's most true of us. It takes a different kind of trust, a different kind of faith, a different kind of reliance on the God of heaven. And then in verse 8 and 9, we get to meet Andrew. So Philip, I just kind of imagine, is like standing, still standing there like, so do I go? Like, what are we doing you asked me where, and I was like, we don't have enough, so now what? So here comes Andrew. Andrew has found somebody in the crowd who has a lunch. And it's typically told of like, well, it's a little boy. It could be a little boy, but the word that's used in the original language could also mean man. And so we don't know. This could be like a, a young man in their 20s. And I'm now to the age where I can say a young man's in their 20s. And so they find this guy, and he's got not a full meal even. I don't want you to think like the loaves that he has. I don't want you to think like Breadsmith or like Bredico. That's not what this is, all right? These are like very small. I want you to think like Little Debbie snack cakes, all right? You could destroy a whole box in 35 minutes if you had to, all right? So these are small. And then I don't want you to think like deep sea fishing kind of fish. I want you to think of like small fish. Like this is a snack. 
this is like an emergency. Like, I don't know what I'm going to eat next, and I'm going to be hanging out with Jesus for a little while. You don't know when you're going to get home, been there. You need to have like an emergency snack. That's what this is. And so Andrew has rounded up this person who's willing to share this snack with at least Andrew. And I have a million questions on how that happened. Right? Is he going in the crowd just like asking people, like, anybody have any food? Is he like begging? Is he taking? I have no idea. But that's what happens in this moment. And then Andrew wonders out loud, like, okay, this is great that we have this, but like, how far is this going to go? And have you had a moment with God that's like that? Like, you're in a place of need, and He provides. And then this overwhelming feeling you have is like, but how long is this going to last? Like, how far is this going to go? Am I going to be here next Tuesday? Am I going to be here again six months from now? And why is it, church, that we hold on to things? I think we hold on to things even that God has given because we're fearful of how long it's going to last. And because we carry that fear of how long the peace is going to last, we seek to control. And we have a hard time trusting out of our poverty. And what I love here is we see, I think, how often we respond to situations like this. Because what's Philip's focus? Philip's focus is, is on the enormity of the problem. Uh, Jesus there's like 20,000 people here. We don't have enough money to buy them a saltine cracker, much less a meal. And then what's Andrew's focus? Andrew's focus, he points out their microscopic resources. So Philip's focusing on the enormity of the problem, and Andrew's focusing on like, hey, we just have this like little bit, and how far is this going to go? And this reminds me of a moment in Numbers chapter 11, which is everybody's favorite book of the Bible. And in Numbers chapter 11, God tells Israel something. They're wandering in the desert. And he tells them, I am going to provide daily grace for you. I'm going to provide you with food. You're not going to have to wonder where your meals are going to come from. I'm going to provide it for you. And I kind of want to show you this, this moment. This is Numbers chapter 11. Verse 21. Moses. So then Moses is having this argument with God. But Moses says, here I am among 600,000 men. So now we're not talking about 20,000 people anymore. Now we're talking about 600,000 men on foot. And you say, I will give them meal to eat for a whole month. And then he asks this question. Would they have enough if flocks and herds were slaughtered for them? Would they have enough if all of the fish in the sea were caught for them? The Lord answered Moses, is the Lord's arm too short? You will now see whether or not what I say will come true for you. So Moses is like 600,000. If you killed all the livestock and you brought it to us, like you delivered it, if you grubhubbed it and brought it here, 
and all of the fish in the sea, and you brought them all to us. There's, that's still not enough. And God's like, do I have short arms? Like, are my arms too short to save? And I think in this moment, like, we see why faith is such a battle. We see why trust is such a battle, why leaning on God is such a battle, because what does it require? It requires us to act beyond our resources and ability. doesn't cause us to think beyond our resources and ability. What does faith require us to do? It requires us to act, to do something, to step beyond our resources, beyond what we have in our hands, and beyond what we are able to do. And this is this moment. And then I love this. It gets funny towards the end. Jesus tells the disciples to go sit down. So get everybody, get all these 5,000 people to sit. You ever tried to get three two-year-olds to sit down? How about 5,000 men and all of the people that they have with them, 20,000 people. So I just imagine the disciples, it's like, hey, could you? Like, I just want to know sometimes in the Bible, how is this actually happening? And so all of it gets all these people to sit, and what's crazy is it feels like these people are being called to an empty table. And if you've ever provided a meal for somebody, you don't call people to the table unless there's food at the table. Because what's the first question if they come to an empty table? Like, where's the food? And why are you torturing us? I'll tell you, sometimes in my house, the food will be on the table and it still feels like they're being tortured. It feels like Jesus is calling them to an empty table. And can I just tell you that sometimes in your relationship with God, it's going to feel like that. It's going to feel like you have been called to an empty table. And as I was thinking about that this week, this Psalm 78 verse 19 came to mind. Psalm 78 verse 19, it just says, can God prepare a table in the wilderness? It's another way of saying, is my arm too short to save? Like, is God able, is he capable of preparing a meal, preparing a table in the wilderness? Or is he just calling his people to this empty table and they're going to have to figure it out for themselves? Verse 11, Jesus does something amazing. He thanks his father for something he doesn't have. And he praises his father for something that hasn't happened yet. Notice he still has a few loaves and fish. And he thanks him. Gratitude comes before the provision. And oh, to like have that ability in my life with God. Thanks God for something he doesn't have and thanks him before it's even happened. And then verse 12, there's this great multiplication and everybody's eaten and everybody's full. And then Jesus says, like, hey, go gather up all the leftovers. And for people in the Midwest, we're like, yes, no food was wasted. 
because that's the worst thing that can happen. Some of us don't even like throw away plastic bags. We wash them out and then we use them again. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I know some of you in the house do that. Because you just grew up in a house where that was... So you're looking at me like I'm lying, but I'm telling you the truth. Gathers up all of the pieces that are left over so that nothing would be wasted. And this week I got curious about that word, wasted. And it's this Greek word, Apollo me. And a better translation rather than wasted is actually lost. So gather up all these pieces so that not one piece is lost. If you go a little bit further into John 6 to verse 39, you'll see this same word, Apollo me, show up. And this is the will of him who sent me that I shall lose... Apollo me, none of all that has been given to me, but raise them up on the last day. So the, the, the gathering up of all of the food is John's way of saying that Jesus has come to gather up all of the people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation. Not one of them is going to be lost. That's why I am here. It just so happens that there's 12 baskets of food, which point to all different kinds of things in the scriptures. It's 12 tribes of Israel that not one of these pieces is going to be lost. But we need to go back to Numbers 11 as we close today. Numbers 11, verse 31. Moses is like, hey, how are you going to do this? Thanks for inviting us to an empty table. Verse 31 now a wind, God, it's always a wind, isn't it? The wind went out from the Lord and drove quail in from the sea. It brought them down all around the camp to about three feet above the ground, as far as, as, far as a day's walk in any direction. And all that day and night and all of the next day, the people went out and gathered quail. No one gathered less than 10 homers. That's 60 bush, bushels. Let's just say it's a lot. Then they spread them out all around the camp. This is how God has provided. He blows all of, through a wind all of these quail into the camp. And there's quail three feet deep. A day's walk in any direction. This deep. It's about, it's about exactly what this is right here. So you're literally like stepping on quail as you walk. Like knee high for some of us. A day's walk in any direction. In the Hebrew mind, a day's walk is like 15 miles. 15 miles to the north. 15 miles to the south. 15 miles to the east. 15 miles to the west. In any direction, quail, 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 quail. Is my arm too short to save? You're like, well, like, how big of an area did it cover? Well, I mean, it is pi day, so we could do a little math. If you remember geometry, you'll remember that area is like pi radius squared, right? So 15 miles, multiply all of that together. We're talking about like an area of seven, 700 miles, like 10 times Washington, D.C. Can you imagine that moment, that provision, 
That's the kind of provision that happens in this story, in this moment. And one of the greatest threats to our spiritual maturity, to our becoming the people that God has created us and called us to be, one of the the greatest threats is not how much we know. It's not how much we end up getting right. But it is our propensity to rely on ourselves. To have that picture that Moses has, like, I know that you've promised this, but man, even if this happened, it wouldn't be enough. Even if this happened, it wouldn't be enough. Even if this happened, it wouldn't be enough. And God just blows a wind of quail into your story. Three feet deep, 15 miles in any direction, 700 square miles of quail. The provision is just all over them. And it's interesting that when Jesus talks about how we pray, give us this day our yearly bread. Give us this day our monthly bread. Give us this day our weekly bread. No, he says, give us today our daily bread. Because we are to be people who believe that the God of heaven would not call you and me to an empty table and leave us to figure it out. But the God of heaven is a God who takes the loaves and the fishes and he feeds the whole world with it. That he sends his son into a world so that all of the pieces that are outside of the basket would be brought into the basket so that they would belong, so that they would have a life. And so no longer are we talking about bits of food, we're talking about people. So I don't know where you are today, where, how you walked in here, but I venture to guess that some of us have at least experienced in recent days a table that just feels so empty. And I think this is a good reminder for us that the God of the Bible, the God that we find in these scriptures, he is a God that desires to rid us of our self-reliance. He wants me to stop relying on what I can do. He wants me to stop relying on myself. And he wants me to understand that not only is he able to do this, He is actively bringing it about. Because the sign that this is pointing to is an empty tomb. I just want you to think about for a moment, if you're a disciple and Jesus has been killed and he's been crucified and he's in a tomb and you're at a house that you don't know in an upper room and where are you? Oh, you're at a table aren't you? And all of a sudden, what happens? The risen, resurrected Jesus walks into that moment. Are you not thinking about this at that moment? How can you not? All the alarm bells are going off. Remember, 
Remember the Sea of Galilee. Remember the mountainside. This is who I am. And I think as the people of God, we need to remember, I believe that this is the God that we serve. This is the God that we worship. This is the God who, are, who is calling us to take steps of faith toward him. So will you remember that even in that darkest moment, that God is at work and he will not invite you to an empty table, but he will provide a place for you to sit and to be nourished so that you would experience his grace through his provision. Will you pray? God, we thank you today for your word and for the power of this story and for how it leads us, how it guides us, how it challenges us. And there's lots of things that we're still wrestling with. There's still lots of things. Well, what about this situation? What about that situation? And I'm not feeling the very provision of God. And God, even in, in that moment, even when we find ourselves in, in that place, God, would you help us to see that moment as an opportunity to take steps towards you, to have honest, prayerful conversation with you, to ask you, where is the quail? And God, we just desire deeply to be people who understand that the God of the Bible is not a God of emptiness, but a God of provision. And so God, would you provide for us today? We, we believe that that is your heart and your desire for us. And so as we stand in a, in a place of need, we ask that that place of need would be multiplied into a place of trust. And that provision would give us the faith that we need to stand in the middle of a crowd of 20,000 people unsure of how this whole thing is going to end. And then when you do provide for us, God, we pray that that would not be our first moment of worship. That that has come before the provision. We've expressed our gratitude for what you have yet to do. So God in the room right now, would you speak to your people? Would you remind them that this is not a story that happened to and for someone else in a day long past? This is a picture of your heart today for them. Pray this believing. Amen. Will you stand? We're going to sing one more song together. Thank you so much for joining us on the Invitation Church podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message that you just heard and receive every part of it. Every promise from God, every declaration of his great love for you, every word of hope, every reminder that you have been made for more. Allow what you've heard to take root in your soul to allow Jesus to do the deep work that only he can do. I also want to encourage you to be part of what we are doing here at Invitation as we invite people to live the way of Jesus. Go to the app and become a regular giver. 
an investor in the story that God is writing in this place. Also, if you found the message meaningful, we'd love to have you share it with someone else as you partner with us in carrying the message beyond the walls of the church. I want to thank you for being here with us. Grace and peace.